Blog Talk Radio. and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sports. With the reviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener, and with that said, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question over and over sports radio. But we like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sportsbeat, and we're coming at you live. And I'm your host, John Spoolis. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Sunday program, the 7th day of May, 2023. Thanks so much for joining us on yet another segment of Sports Beat Radio Talking Sports. And today we're having an, an interesting show as we try to do each segment because we are a educational sports radio and not a talk and call in. So we'd like to leave you with, you know, some information that uh, might educate the average sports listener into some interest. And today we're going to be talking about something that uh, I think many of you probably don't know, and that was or is. Uh, Jackie Robinson, the great Brooklyn Dodgers uh, friendship with Carly Simon, the singer-songwriter and the family of the Simons. You know, you wouldn't think that something like that would exist. We do know that a lot of athletes are friends with uh, musicians. A lot of NBA players are uh, friends of rappers and so forth, and uh, some of the uh, uh, baseball players and football players are fans of country music and so forth, and, and uh, they have uh, friends within the business. But it's kind of an interesting thing. And, you know, when we look at it, why Carly Simon was named the unofficial Dodgers mascot by baseball legend Jackie Robinson. So, you know, she's a renowned singer and songwriter. You remember You're So Vain in Anticipation. It's set to join the uh, – 2022 class of inductees in the Rock and Hall of Fame in Cleveland, and he was one of the greatest baseball players of all time and made history as the first black athlete to play Major League Baseball when he joined the Dodgers in Brooklyn in 1947. Carly Simon was just under two years old when Jackie Robinson made his barrier-busting National League debut, but the two of them would go on to have a close, affectionate relationship that led to Robinson giving young Simon batting lessons and proclaiming her the unofficial mascot of the Dodgers. So how it went down, the relationship between the Simons and the Robinsons began in 1955 per the Vineyard Gazette. And Jackie and his wife Rachel and their children were house hunting with the idea of moving to the Connecticut suburbs outside of New York. And the family faced a multi-pronged racist attack against their attempt to settle in Connecticut with brokers as well as neighbors refusing to show them the houses or discouraging the family's presence in some neighborhoods and claiming property values would plummet or white families would leave the area rather than live near a black family. 
So a local paper published an account of the Robinsons' difficulties in finding a home to buy, which caught the eye of Andrea Simon. She was the wife of publishing magnate Richard Simon of the renowned Simon & Schuster Publishing Company. And Andrea reached out to Rachel and offered to accompany her on visits to local homes for sale. So Andrea Simon and... uh, Rachel Robinson, they quickly became friends, and the Robinsons found and bought a home a mile away from the Simons in Stamford, Connecticut. And as Robinson later told the Vineyard Gazette, which is a newspaper, of course, it was exactly what I had been looking for. I was just thrilled the minute I saw it, I knew that I wanted it. And the Robinson family moved in with the Simons while builders completed work on their new home, and the families became very close. So Peter Simon, brother of Carly, remembered, quote, Jackie spent so much time teaching us about baseball, we'd start out in the backyard and he'd hit us grounders with a tennis racket and a tennis ball. And he used to wail the ball and hit these towering high flies. We were so into it, especially Carly, who was a true Blue Dodger fan. So Carly Simon later recounted her own memories of Jackie Robinson during a 2011 uh, interview with journalist Diane Rim, noting and quoting, I'm not sure whether my falling in love with baseball came first or whether my getting to know Jackie Robinson and his wife Rachel and his three kids and their moving in with us for a year and a half had anything to do with my love for baseball. And she went on to reminisce about going to Dodgers games with her father and Robinson, where the team got so used to seeing this little eight-year-old coming in with their star, with the big star with the 42 on his back. So Carly went on to tell Diane Rem that the Dodgers gave me a little mascot recognition of giving me my own uniform, and so I used to go in the dugouts and very often sit especially on Pee Wee Reese's lap. And I remember that lap was the friendliest to a little squirming eight-year-old who's just out of breath, not being able to believe where she was. Reese is, uh, of course, uh, uh, one of the uh, great shortstops uh, in the National League. So Simon's version of the classic song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, was used in both the Ken Burns baseball documentary miniseries as well as the CD that accompanied the 2011 picture book of the same title. And ABC7 New York discussed the song with Simon as well as her history with Jackie Robinson. And she told reporters he'd referred to her as his lucky charm during her childhood outings at Brooklyn's Ebbets Field. She went on to call Robinson gentle and ardent, concerning about fair treatment for everybody, and that in addition to baseball, he plays tennis like nobody else. That's what Carly Simon said. So Rachel Robinson and Andrea Simon remained close friends until Andrea died in 1994 at the age of 84, and both women lost their husbands far too soon. Richard Simon died in 1960 at the age of 61, and Jackie Robinson died in 1972 at just 53 years old. And Rachel Robinson told the Vineyard Gazette, Andre, Andrea and I had more than a friendship. We were like sisters. So, you know, we know that what Robinson had gone through and, you know, certainly the unexpected uh, friendship between the Simon family, particularly Carly and, uh, and uh, you know, Jackie Robinson's family. Um, but when you look at uh, Jackie Robinson in general, uh, Hall of Famer's biggest controversies ever, the biggest uh, 
uh, Hall of uh, Fame controversy. Baseball has been part of the American experience for more than a century. We know that, and the sport is often used as a metaphorical stand in for America itself, which makes sense. Just like the country that invented it, baseball has its ups and downs, its scandals, its investigations, and its study evolution. And just like America, baseball has employed a bit of old razzle-dazzle, so to speak, to promote itself, most notably with the Baseball Hall of Fame. That was established in 1936, and the physical hall and the museum were built a few years later. So requiring... 75% of the vote cast by members of the Baseball Writers Association of American Players get booted off the ballots after 10 years if they receive less than 5% of the vote. So the hall is meant to enshrine only the greatest players of all time, men who embody the talent and sportsmanship championed by the game. And surprisingly, a game played for money, huge amounts of it in the modern era, doesn't necessarily attract the nicest or most morally upstanding people, and the Hall's voting procedure is weird and open to personal vendettas and crusades, resulting in plenty of controversial choices and decisions. You peel back the old-time glamour of baseball as the pure all-American pastime, and you'll find plenty of dark, ugly stuff, from racism to cheating to steroids. And here's uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame's biggest controversies. Jackie Robinson barely got into the Baseball Hall of Fame. To be elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame, a player has to appear in 75% of the ballots cast by members of the Baseball Writers Association of America. The BWAA is what it's called. And you'd think getting the bare minimum would be easy for somebody like Jackie Robinson, a man who was a legend in every way. After years playing brilliantly in the Negro Leagues, Robinson shattered the color barrier in Major League Baseball when he became the first Black player, as we all remember, 1947, joining the Brooklyn Dodgers and being named Rookie of the Year. So Robinson went on to play brilliantly, winning a batting title and Most Valuable Player Award before retiring. His MLB career was fairly short. It was just 10 years because he was already a 28-year-old veteran when he decided to endure years of abuse, death threats, and stress in order to take a stand against racism and break down the historic barrier. So despite the brevity of his playing career, he's credited with transforming the game, refocusing it on speed and base percentages instead of home runs. We could probably use him now. And yet, despite all of these achievements, when Robinson was elected to the Hall of Fame, he received just 77.5% of the votes. That means he made the cut by just four votes, a more blatant example of the lingering racism afflicting both sport and the country can't be found. So what about Rogers Hornsby? He might have uh, been a member of the KKK. Uh, You'd be hard-pressed to find a more uh, revered figure in early baseball than Raha Rogers Hornsby. Hornsby's stats are legendary while taking a .358 lifetime batting average, three seasons batting over 400, including an incredible .424 in 1924, two triple crowns, leading the league in average home runs and RBIs. And he's the only player in baseball history to hit over 400 with 40 home runs, a feat he managed in 1922. He later became a player manager and was pretty successful in that role, too. But Hornsby was never well-liked by his fellow players. In fact, as ESPN reported, when he was fired as manager of the Cubs in 1932 and the team went on to the World Series without him, the players voted to deny him a share of the bonus out of spite. And he was frequently fired and traded simply because he got along with precisely nobody. But worst of all, there are persistent rumors that Hornsby was a member of the KKK. 
There was an author named Charles Alexander. He writes that the longtime sports reporter Fred Lieb maintained that Horsby had admitted as much to him, and Horsby was accused of releasing Catholic players from his teams because of his prejudices. Having Hornsby in the hall remains controversial to this day. And then even though he was a terrible human being, or at least uh, those who wrote about him said so, Ty Cobb is still in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Ty Cobb was easily one of the most talented players in baseball. He still holds the all-time career batting average, an incredible 366, and he batted over 400 three times, piling up more than 4,000 hits. So it's not too surprising that he was among the inaugural class inducted into the Hall of Fame along Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Hannes Wagner, and Christy Matthewson. But Cobb was, by all accounts, a truly horrible human being and one of the dirtiest players in baseball. He was violent on the field and off. Smithsonian Magazine notes uh, multiple reports of Cobb assaulting people. And the New York Times recounts that one time Cobb actually went into the stands to assault a fan. He was documented racist. And ESPN reports that he bet on baseball games. Doesn't that sound familiar with a member of the Cincinnati Reds who did the same thing, supposedly, and can't get in? But despite this, Cobbs remains the, in the Hall of Fame, and there isn't even any meaningful discussion about reviewing whether or not his deplorable actions should lead to a reconsideration. Meanwhile, other players who committed just one of the many offenses that Cobb piled up while getting more hits are banned. And then the PED are as majorly affected the Baseball Hall of Fame. Of course, we all know that. What's become known as the performance-enhanced drug, PED era, in baseball, roughly dated from the 1980s through the 2000s, is a scandal that continues to reverberate through the sport. No one knows exactly how many players were guilty of taking both legal at the time and never legal drugs to gain an edge, but it was a lot of them. And the inflated statistics of the era are clear evidence that there was essentially wholesale cheating going on in the sport. So moreover, this has now infected the Hall of Fame voting as players widely suspected of using PEDs became eligible. And the writers who vote on the Hall of Fame inductees aren't beholden to any clear rules or guidelines so they can and do leave players off their ballots for personal reasons. And many resent players they suspect of using PEDs. As Deadspin notes, Mike Piazza, one of the most dominant catchers of his time, was widely suspected of steroid use, which almost certainly explains the fact that he failed to get the required 75% of the vote the first three years he was eligible. And, of course, also players like Barry Bonds, who holds both the single-season 73 and all-time 762 home run records, or Roger Clemens, who has 354 wins and seven Cy Young awards, aren't in the hall because they're suspected of using PEDs as well. And meanwhile, as the Hardball Times reminds us, legendary Braves manager Bobby Cox literally beat up his wife, and yet he's happily ensconced into the Hall of Fame. And Bud Sealing, of course, the former commissioner, controversial period he oversaw in baseball's history. The role of commissioner of baseball isn't what he used to be, of course, with that. And originally created in the wake of the Black Sox cheating scandal way back in 1919, the office was intended to rebuild confidence in the game as well as save the league from the inter-team squabbling that threatened to tear it apart. In addition, the modern day, the commissioner is much less independent than originally conceived, but the position is still plenty influential, as Bud Selig proves. Selig served from 92 to 2015, 
the first several years, he was officiating as an acting commissioner. He oversaw the disastrous 94 strike that saw baseball's popularity nosedive. He also oversaw the exciting home run competition between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa in 1998. Credited with the re-sparking fans' love of the game and rehabilitating its image. The problem is that McGuire and Sosa and many other players were both all most certainly using uh, PEDs. And at this time, as Fox Sports noted, Sillig didn't make, uh, take the problem very seriously until years later. He didn't institute a strong drug policy screening thing until uh, 2005, which means he basically allowed the so-called PED era baseball to flourish, probably because it was good for business until it wasn't. And yet Sillig is in the Hall of Fame despite the feelings and the failings. Cap Anson helped segregate baseball. Most people think they know the story race in baseball. The sport was segregated from its inception until Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey broke the color barrier in 47. But the fact is, baseball wasn't always a segregated sport. In the 19th century, while there were racist and segregational forces in the game, it wasn't uncommon for teams to have black players. One of the most legendary 19th century players, Anson, was elected to the Hall in 1939, and as the Washington Post reported, he was instrumental in ensuring that baseball closed its ranks to black players. Anson was a superstar, and when he vocally refused to play against teams that employed black players, teams were forced to give in. And this, in turn, made it easier for other racists to do the same. And in the 90s, 1890s, I should say, there were no black players in professional baseball, largely due to Cap Anson's efforts. Granted, the Hall does acknowledge Anson's history, but only barely, and there's a paragraph buried deep in his official biography, but overall, the bio mostly focuses on his hit prowess and supposed reputation as embodying everything that's great in baseball. Whitey Ford is still in the Baseball Hall of Fame, even though he confessed to cheating. Sorry, Yankees fans, but in 1950s, the Yankees were a force of nature, as we know. They finished in first place every year, but won from 49 to 58, finishing second in 54 despite winning 103 games. Whitey Ford was a big reason for that success, racking up 236 career wins over 16 years with the Yanks, a career that got him into the Hall of Fame in 1974. But the controversy over Ford's election to the Hall centers on cheating. Ford admitted several times that he cheated, and pretty blatantly, too. ESPN reported Ford used several techniques. For example, he would cut the ball with his ring. Sometimes he would load the ball with mud that he purposely seeded around the pitcher's mound. Or he'd use a special gunk he prepared ahead of time. Ford made it clear that as he aged into his 30s, he lost some of the athletic abilities and was forced to resort the cheating in order to stay competitive. In one late 1980s interview, the New York Times, in fact, Ford said he approved of pitchers cheating because the money was too good to pass up. And the end result is that a player who not only admits to cheating but even endorses cheating has a plaque in the Hall of Fame. Seriously, the man has received baseball's highest honor, even though you have to question some of those late career wins on his record, including his postseason wins. Since Ford said of the 1963 World Series against the Dodgers, quoting, I used enough mud to build a dam. Larry Walker, in his Coors Field inflated offense stats, 2020 Hall of Fame class 
consisted of Derek Jeter, who got 99.7% of the votes, and Larry Walker. Walker was a good player, ending his career with a 313 batting average and 383 home runs, plus three batting titles in which he batted 363, 379, 350, all very impressive numbers. So what's the problem? Well, Walker's numbers are a little on the weak side for the Hall, and he got a boost from Coors Field, a stadium that's notorious for boosting hitters' numbers and ruining pitchers' numbers. As Forbes reported, Coors Field is by far the most hitter-friendly yard in the game, and Walker undoubtedly got a boost from it. Prior to joining the Rockies, Walker's career batting average was 282, a perfectly respectable number, but nothing compared to the 334 he hit as a Rocky. And while there are other ways of judging a player's impact, it's pretty clear that Walker benefited from a serious home run field uh, advantage. And sure, he didn't play poorly on the road, just not as spectacularly. And this is one reason it took Walker so long to get into the hall. 2020 was his final year of eligibility. In 2014, he received just 10.2% of the votes, largely because of the Coors Field stigma. Fans continue to argue both sides of the Coors Field drama. But until the Hall of Fame explains how stats like Walker's magically go from not good enough to just barely good enough, the Hall has a credibility problem. And the Eras Committee, also known as the Veterans Committee, is charged with reviewing the careers of players who failed to be elected in Baseball Hall of Fame during their initial eligibility. Recent years have seen changes that have shifted the focus to more modern players, but the idea is still the same. Give some deserving players a second chance. However, there's one problem. As the Sporting News noted way back in 2017, the Veterans Committee has never enshrined an African-American who played his entire career in the major leagues. In other words, the black players the Veterans Committee has enshrined all played some of their time in Negro Leagues. And while this is arguably due to the noticeable lack of black players prior to 1947. Until 2016, when uh, one of the committees under the era's umbrella could only consider major league players prior to 1947. There's Dick Allen, Vita Blue, and Maury Wilson, named just a few. Plenty of names who didn't make it. Recent changes to the committee structures have improved things, but even if the players like Blue, who's now 70, and Wills, uh, who's 87, who, who just uh, recently passed away, are eventually recognized <clears throat> Excuse me, as great players they were. It might be too late for them to enjoy the honor while still alive. Charles Comiskey doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. He was the reason why the, two, uh, the 1919 White Sox, known as the Black Sox, threw the World Series against the Reds. The Black Sox scandal of 1919 remains a seminal moment in baseball's history. Eight players for the White Sox were accused of taking bribes to throw the World Series, in case you didn't know. All eight were banned from baseball, from Kenneshaw Mountain Landis, who was the new commissioner. They were banned despite never actually being convicted of the crimes. However, there's one man who never suffered despite his obvious role in the scandal. It's Hall of Fame owner Charles Comiskey. The White Sox named a park after him not long ago. As Fox Sports notes, Comiskey was a criminally mean-spirited boss who underpaid his players in the pre-free agency era. And the athletes had little leverage or recourse and treated them pretty badly, aside from humiliation like making them launder their own uniforms. He often cheated by benching players in order to prevent them from getting contractual bonuses. One of them, for example, is said that Eddie Sicott 
was within one win of triggering a 10000 contractual bonus. Comiskey ordered him benched. Comiskey was also a big fan of racial segregation in baseball. But despite Comiskey's treatment of his players, the scandal, and his obvious negative influence on the game, Comiskey gets a plaque. Where else? In the Hall of Fame. And what's Harold Baines doing there? One of the most controversial aspects of the Hall is, uh, is the Eris Committee, also known as the Veterans Committee. We just spoke of it. The committee is designed to reconsider players who failed to make the vote during their 10 or 15 years of eligibility, depending upon when they retired. And this makes sense for players who have borderline statistics or other reasons they might have been overlooked, but the Eris Committee often selects players who obviously fall short. This was highlighted in 2018 when Harold Baines was elected, along with Lee Smith, by the Eris Committee. And while Smith arguably has the stats for inclusion, his 478 saves rank third all time. Baines never got more than 6.1% of the votes during his initial eligibility. And for good reason. Baines was a good player, certainly, and his 2,866 hits looks pretty impressive at first glance. But Baines' main achievement as a player was longevity. Despite being frequently injured and not much of a defensive player, he played for 22 years. Sports Illustrated put it this way, there's nothing to Baines' Hall of Fame case beyond his prodigious hit total. And he got there by piling up thousands of plate appearances as a plodding DH who could barely play the field. Even Baines admitted to being shocked when he was indicted. I should say inducted. But maybe he should have been indicted. Who knows? And so, you know, that's a look at some of the uh, the interesting things. You know, athletes caught cheating on live TV. If you've ever watched a sport you're passionate about, you know that cheating appears and happens a lot. You felt the rage when the refs miss a call that truly changes the outcome of the game or match. And, of course, not all acts of cheating are created equal. A baseball player who's caught red-handed using a loaded bat during a game is guilty of more uh, problems than a hitter who crowds the plate and attempts to shrink the strike zone. Diving, flopping, or whatever you want to call it, it's visible in just about any sport where athletes make contact with each other. In fact, one of the most famous goals in the history of world soccer would never count in the modern game thanks to technology. However, with cameras everywhere, it's hard for athletes to get away scot-free these days. Whether they escaped official punishment or were ejected from the game, the athletes on this list were caught dramatically cheating. David Luiz was one of them, a, a soccer player. Sammy Sosa, he was caught cheating with a court bat. Neymar made headlines for throwing himself on the ground, feigning injury. That was a soccer player. Marty McSorley's stick changed the 1993 Cup Final. The stick in question became part of hockey history and postseason folklore. McSorley knew well before the measurement that his blade wasn't legal. However, there were also accusations of wrongdoing by the Canadians and by Montreal police officers who may have aided the hometown team in measuring sticks that fateful evening. And yet Joe Necro, you remember him, the famous knuckleballer, couldn't hide the evidence of uh, Stickham. Rivaldo's acting skills earned him a fine in soccer. Miko Rentinen has fallen on the ice multiple times for the Colorado Avalanche. Tony Romo tried to cheat his way to a first down. Luis Serreras 
who has bitten multiple opponents over the years, a soccer player. The NBA, the NBA, I should say, find the mouth, LeBron James, for flopping. They were fined for their roles in a pair of flops on the same play in the fourth quarter of Game 4 in the 2013 Eastern Conference Final. James attempted some sort of spin move before he dropped to the ground for reasons that defy gravity and physics, while West also exaggerated following minimal contact. Neither man obtained any real advantage due to their theatrics. They merely lost 5000 apiece for their efforts, and it will likely shock you to learn that such a minimal financial penalty didn't prevent James from embellishing himself again during games. So there you have it. The, from the friendship of Carly Simon and uh, the greatness of a man who uh, befriended her and should have been in the Hall of Fame, and that is Jackie uh, Robinson, who should have been there unaltered. He barely got in. Now, some of these other uh, so-called athletes either cheated their way or there were racists or segregationists or whatever you want to call them uh, there in the Hall of Fame. And I think that makes it clear that maybe even Pete Rose should be given another chance, regardless of what he did, one of the great players of all time. Of course, I leave that to debate of all of you. But after the report, you have to see that it's pretty one-sided with these, uh, you know, World Series thing and these uh, inductions into uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame and for any Hall of Fame, really. They're all crooked for the most part, and they're all tainted. Well, that'll about do it for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talking Sports, where we talked about the singer Carly Simon and her family's friendship with the Robinson family, of course, Jackie Robinson making her the unofficial mascot of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Sportsbeat's been a presentation of Mount Meadow Productions and Sportsbeat Radio, and until next time, all of you enjoy the NBA, of course, which continues tonight with the Suns and Denver, and of course, the National Hockey League continues now as New Jersey looks to uh, get back into the swing of things against uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks for joining us.